I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Blizzard Watch Podcast. I'm Matt. I'm your host. With me this week is Joe, my fantastic co-host. Uh, specifically, I believe he has the powers of Clerk the Super Scroll, and that he can use all four. I, I, I think that's fair. I, you know what? I think that's actually accurate considering what I use and do as a daily basis for a hobby. So yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll take that. Plus, I mean, I always like saying Clerk the Super Scroll, implying that I not only know the, the Super Scroll, but I know his real name. Like we're like we're close. <laughs> <laughs> like I spent a lot of time with Clerk. <laughs> ah, so yeah, it's been an interesting past couple of weeks, everybody. Um, we're we're going to just go straight into, I think, we've got a, a bouquet of emails and questions. We're just going to go straight into them. Uh, I will mention one of the things that they that was announced this week is that we've now got confirmation that Mai is going to be the next hero in Heroes of the Storm. Mm-hmm. So last week when we talked about that, that, we, that was a suspicion. It's now confirmed. Uh, that's the first new hero in a while, so, you know, hey. Looks like Heroes of the Storm isn't quite done yet, and that's pretty great. Uh, but that's a, the, oh, she's a tank, by the way. Mai is going to be a tank character in Heroes I, of the Storm, which I kind of love. I, I sort of love the fact that she's just like a tanky person. Makes me happy. Well, it's like people have been wanting Mai to be a tank in Hero in, in Overwatch forever. And oh it's yeah, like, it's like Heroes of the Storm listened and gave her as a tank in Heroes. Still not a tank in, in Overwatch, but we'll see what happens with Overwatch Two coming soon. Uh, soon, TM. Quote marks. I don't know when Overwatch 2 is coming out, so don't don't go nuts if it doesn't happen next month or anything. But yeah, uh, Joe reads our questions for us, so he's going to do that for us now. If you have an email for the show, uh, please send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or Blizzard Watch. We know it's for this show. Or you can go to our Discord. We have two channels on Discord. One of them is the Patron Q and Podcast Questions channel. You can ask in there. We look there first. And then there's the... Uh, 
I think there's just a straight up you know, Q questions channel that we look in. If there's questions for the podcast put in there, we will look at them and take them as well. But yeah, those are the ways that you can get a question to us. Uh, Joe, if you don't mind, go ahead. I do not mind at all. Uh, we're going to start with one. Originally, it was going to be part of the pre-show, but we got on a weird, weird roll today. Uh, but I'm going to use it here because I think it's fun and I want to answer the question anyway. Uh, this one's come from Tetsemi. Uh, I was going through my music library looking for game soundtracks and found my anthem, the game soundtrack. Just listening to the mixture of tribal elements mixed with the techno elements stirs very creative ideas in my brain for stories and or games. What soundtracks, if any, have inspired you creatively, and what game and or game systems have you found that hit the right mixture of tribal spirituality and technological? Shadowrun and Anthem are two games that have hit it for me, uh, but interested if you've got any that hit it for you and why. So I don't know. Music for me has always played a really big part of just like gaming in general. Uh, it, it's what allows me partially to get into like an immersive state of mind and creatively it has fueled me uh, to come up with some of my weirdest and sometimes best ideas. Uh, and it's not just game soundtracks, but there's been some good ones there. But like movie soundtracks play a lot, a large part of that uh, in my background. So like the Conan soundtrack or like Lady Hawk or, or some of the classic like 80s, 70s fantasy movies had some really like good soundtracks that has that 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 mix of like here's synthesizers mixed with like these tribal beats and, and everything else. Uh, and it just created these weird mindscapes to, to travel down. Um, but if we're talking at like video game, video game soundtracks, I think the I got a night. Go ahead. I got one. Well, you go first because you were going to say one, and so I'll talk. I'll go in. I was I was going to say one of the the best ones of recent memory that really just makes me get into a very particular mindset every single time is the Bastion soundtrack from Super Giant Games 2011. Uh, I don't know why, but that soundtrack resonates with me in that sort of same way that you were describing, Titsemi, where like I can listen to it and I my mind just goes places and I figure out some weird things and start writing things and, and feel energized every single time I I pay attention to that soundtrack. Like it is it is probably my favorite video game soundtrack for that reason. Okay. Um I have a few I'm gonna mention, but the one I want to mention first, uh this goes back a long time. This goes back to the late nineties, uh early two thousands. There was a game company named Black Isle. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, they, if you've heard, if you're hearing and going Black Isle, that sounds familiar. Um, they're effectively the ancestor of Obsidian Games, and they did a lot of different things. Uh, they were they were involved in interplay to a degree. They they did a lot of stuff with Bioware. They used Bioware's, uh, I want to say Infinity Engine, I think it was called, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that. But whatever the engine that for for Baldur's Gate, uh, Black Isle did some neat stuff with it. One of the games they put out was was called. Uh, Icewind Dale. And Icewind Dale, to my mind, had one of the best soundtracks of any game. And it was really the opening theme. And I... It just... It starts off with this, like, slow, melodic build. There's this, like, two-minute, like, kind of, like, you know, woodwind instruments. I almost wish I had a clip of it to play for you, but I don't have one, so... It's like woodwind instruments and very quiet verse, and it just goes and builds over. It doesn't ever really get particularly driving it just kind of goes and then 
it just kind of like the wind woodwind music dies out just when it stops and there's this moment of silence and then this you know i just remember every time i hear it, like you hear this just goes dun 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 and it just from there, it just builds and goes, and it's really just this. I I cannot describe in words the way that it it causes the skin on my arms to just kind of pebble up. Instant feeling it, it creates that feeling in me of what it would be like to be rocketing over a glacier and what and like watching the events of the story play out. And it just it it's caught me to this day. Um, I, I other games one, that had I was gonna say oh, I, have go one, I have one another one to add in. I don't want to spend too terribly long in this, but I want to get this in real quick. Um, the other soundtrack that I thought was probably I think woefully underrated, but does this exact same thing, is the soundtrack for Grim Fandango. It is this wonderful swinging jazz score. Uh, I think it was Peter McConnell, if I'm, if I'm remembering right, that did it. But not only does it have that noir style arrangement, but it mixes in Latino and, and klezmer culture into it, which is very, very unique. Uh, something that not a lot of places or people have tried to do before and does so in such a way that it is absolutely transformative when you listen to it. And if you've never played Grim Fandango, it's one of those few soundtracks that I recommend, like, sitting down. I think it's actually on, like, Spotify and, like, other streaming places. Listen to it. And, like, it, it is this wonderful melding of, like, traditional musics and the, the that sort of, like, cultural, like, just melting of, of, of all these different things into one amazing score. So, like, it, it, that's another one that, like, I can sit and listen to. And I have it on my regular rotation on my playlist because I have it on my phone. So, like, when I'm doing stuff like writing or if I'm painting even, like, that will, like, selections from that will come on. And I'll lose time just being lost in my brain from everything that it elicits. Like, you're talking about goosebumps. I check out. Like, that's one of those things where, like, I just get completely absorbed by it. The other the other couples I was going to mention was the uh, the soundtrack to uh, Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning, yeah, which is not like it's not actually very. It feels like I don't know how to explain this. It doesn't try to reinvent anything, and it's not particularly any any kind of music. But it, it's like it's like the ultimate distillation of fantasy role playing game music. It, it is like takes like every game that came out before it and kind of says here's what that soundtrack it's like every song on it feels like it's a piece of another game yeah yeah and it's done extremely that. well the, the, the guy who did it grant kirko also did the, the music for like banjo kazooie so the dude's range is pretty impressive um the, the corneria theme from star fox yeah oh like it just it just I'm, I'm trying not to swear here. So it pirate ghosting rocks it just, and it just goes and it, it, whether you listen to the original version or the version from uh, smash brothers, mm-hmm. I actually think the smash brothers version is a little bit better. It's a little updated. Uh, that's why. Yeah. But at the same time, the pure simplicity of the original. Um, but, and also one thing I actually, this is one thing I saw mentioned on a video game show fairly recently. I don't know if you guys ever watch outside Xbox. One of the things they did was talk about songs that that have an effect on you, and they 
one of the people, uh, Jane Douglas, was the, the commenter, made this point. Hey, the most recent, uh, just before they just did the the more recent Doom Eternal, but before Doom Eternal, there was Doom, the 2016 game. Yep. And one of the point music in that you're on the elevator going up to like <laughs> about to step out into Mars, and the music is like there's a whole bit where the guy is going, "We did it because we," you know, he's doing his little speech, and you're just sitting there listening to it, and the music starts. You smash the thing so he stops talking, and the music swells up. And it's like Doom has this driving metal soundtrack that is crazy. Like it's, it's like you wonder what happened to metal music. It, it went into video games because that's what yeah. this is. It's mm-hmm. like a, it's like a concept album. But you get to a certain point in it, you get up to the top, and just as the elevator doors are about to open, it goes da 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 da, and then it stops, and you rack your shotgun. And the racking of the shotgun at that moment is is like musical accompaniment. It's like percussion. Yep. And it's just a perfect Wait. segue into the game. And it is to me, it's up there with like, like I've loved a lot of game soundtracks. Like I I love the music from Mass Mass Effect and Mass Effect Two especially, like Suicide Run. Mm-hmm. That's yes. like one of the that's amazing. But to me, that bit in Doom where you're going up the elevator, it is the whole game. In like a two-minute mu- musical like formula, it's like this is what you will be doing for the next two hours. Let's go, and that's. I can listen to a lot of video game music. Like I, I love the Diablo theme. Oh yeah, no Diablo's Diablo th- got a great score, and Diablo three in particular. That you know that that music. You, that, you- that's just it's just the dun 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 dun. You know, it's like it's like. And it's just—I know I'm doing a terrible job, but we don't no, no, have to but, it guys. Ma- I'm sorry. but it makes perfect sense. And like, and like you said, like the Diablo, like it's one of those things where, and it's beyond iconic at this point. Like, if you hear the music, like Diablo two in particular, that mm-hmm. twelve string guitar, that twelve string guitar, that whole thing—that's the reason I bought a twelve string guitar. But like, that transports you instantly to that grim dark fantasy world of Diablo like it, it it's that calm before the storm like like it's just oh so good so good but yeah I think we've kind of talked yeah about I was gonna now. say case in point like there's a lot of good stuff out there not to discount like the wow soundtracks or anything like that because those are also no, amazing oh, this is your fault you mentioned it yep I love original wow style theme and I, I love all the versions they've done since but one of the things that people i think people crapped on world as a draenor unfairly for is my god the song yeah. times change oh it was from so Warlords good like, so good dun, 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 dun. it's like he you know, a guy who doesn't play horde much anymore one of the things i've always loved about certain themes is that when they bring in the horde stuff is that tribal element mm-hmm. that they try to bring in where they make it sound like we are this this group of people coming together and it just works so well in 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 uh in worlds of Draenor. the music in, in every wow in every wow expansion has always been good but i think worlds of Draenor really had some amazing stuff going on musically and it doesn't get enough credit please move us on to another question because I, <laughs> I won't be able to stop absolutely our next one comes from spry sprocket on proudmore us hello watchers gameplay question this time 
What is the function of resurrection sickness, and do you think it is still necessary? I can understand why it was implemented way back in vanilla when running back to your body was inconvenient enough that there needed to be an incentive to bother with it. But in the current game, that doesn't really apply anymore. There are tons more graveyards per zone, and in most cases, you can fly as a ghost. So terrain isn't even a factor for getting back to your body. I only ever need to resident a graveyard when the game has glitched in some way that prevents me from just running back to my body, such as the time Oculus Slowfall of the Waterfall during the intro to Najatar killed me and my body phased out of existence. I had that happen to me too. I feel you on that one, Surprise Rocket. At this point, Resurrection Sickness feels more like an insult to injury than a practical mechanic. At the very least, a 10-minute you-can't-play-this-character-anymore debuff seems out of proportion. Does it still serve a useful purpose, or do you think it's only in the game because that's just the way it's always been? Is there a better alternative? So, back when WoW first became a thing, and, and just a little bit of history of MMOs, if you have not played a bunch of the older MMOs, games like EverQuest and City of Heroes had death penalties. Death penalties were very, very common in MMOs. The problem was, back then, is a lot of those MMOs basically took away experience points from you when you died as your penalty. EverQuest did this uh, pretty extensively. So, if you died and continued to die you could actually lose levels back in the day. City of Heroes did it a little bit different, where when you died, you went and accrued what was called XP debt. Uh, you went to the hospital, and that was your bill, so to speak, so that new experience you gained was at a reduced rate. Half of it went to you, half of it went to pay off your debt. Um, when WoW came around and started looking at, well, do we follow this system or do we implement something new, the design element that was put in this was the most player-friendly at the time. Take that, like, take that in. This, what we have right now, this annoying thing, this thing that, you know, you took a stat reduction, I think it was 25%. I haven't done it in a long time, but it's 25% and, and like, you just couldn't do anything, at least effectively, and it would continue to kill you. That you was die the- when you die in WoW, what is it? Or is it 10%? Something like that. Your stats are It's significantly are more than... T- I think it's more like 75%. Is it? But you know what we're going to do? You're going to kill yourself in you game? You keep talking. I'm going to kill myself and find out. <laughs> Fantastic. But this was the most player-friendly option at the time. Now, the other problem with this now... Like, yes, I think it's an antiquated system. Yes, it could probably go away. But here's the problem. World PvP is still a thing. And if you want to keep people from rezzing and zerging from one solid point, you have to have some form of like incentive not to take it. It's 75%. 75%. Yeah. And even at 75% for 10 minutes or whatever it is, that's still considered more player-friendly than any of the other MMOs that were out there at the time. And it is it's, more yeah. player-friendly than any of the other MMOs that were out at the time. It is significantly friendlier. Yeah. Um, I can't even... like. One of the reasons I couldn't get very far at first playing other MMOs was the fact that, like, sometimes they could loot you. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just, like, the penalties Joe was talking about wasn't all of it. Some games, they let they let other players loot your corpse and take your stuff. And then sometimes that meant that they could loot something on you that let you access their bank. <laughs> so that you could go and steal everything that they owned. Period. <laughs> Death was like, bad in MMOs. Yeah, they, they weren't kidding. So, yeah, that being said, 
I don't know that it's really useful anymore. Yeah, I don't uh, think it is. As you point out, basically what it does is it means that you don't play for 10 minutes. Because you can't. A 75% penalty to everything? Yeah, you're not going to try. I mean, you're going to die even if you're super high geared. You're not going to... Like, I just put, I just gave myself a 75% to everything. You know, look, looking at my character's stats right now, just looking at my health, it's reduced to, like, a like you know, one-fourth its normal level. Everything I'm at is at one-fourth my normal. I, at level 120, that means I'm going to get destroyed trying to fight anything. So, yeah, I'm done for 10 minutes. I am taking a 10-minute break. At the When WoW came out, 10-minute break was just, okay, I'm going to go pee then. Yeah, I'm gonna go get myself a drink. I'm gonna go do something else because I've been playing for three hours. See, but the- we're at a place now in the in gaming where are not spending four, five, six hours on an MMO. We have like an hour or two at the most. We do some world quests. We might hop into LFR, and then that's it. That's our time. Yeah, and you don't get so, it when you're raiding, and if you're raiding and you're spending three hours, four hours at a time doing it, you don't get res sickness or anything like that when you die. Or no, because you just you just run in and re- you get your body back as soon as you come into the instance. Right. You know, and that's not something you would almost never. I can't think of a time dying in a raid that you would just choose to to res at the res at the uh, spirit healer. There's almost never a reason for that. You would always just run back and run back in, and boom, you'd, you'd res as soon as mm-hmm. you were in. But the, I don't know when they started doing that. I don't think that it was always the case, but I don't remember. No, they stopped. I think it, I want to say it was. I think it was Burning Crusade. I think they changed. No, no, it was. Uh, it was Wrath. Yeah, Wrath I just remember you in the a, instance. It's been a long time since you actually had to run to your body in the raid, uh, and it's just. I, I I'm honestly sitting here trying to think of like you know. Part of me wants to be the cantankerous oldster who's like, ah, we did it. You can do it. But part of me is like, you know, just because we did something dumb doesn't mean that the dumb thing has to be done forever. I mean, we used to have to sit in cities and, like, complain for six hours before we cut a group. Uh, that doesn't mean we want to keep doing that. So, Yeah, I think it's time yeah. to look for an alternative. I think there's time to find a better solution for it for a while. I mean, I think part of the problem is, like, you know, if you don't have the res sickness, then resing at the spirit healer is just active than running back to your body. That's that's fact. Uh, in a lot of cases, you're going to want to just be like you were pointing out before about PvP. If you're getting destroyed in PvP and you you know you could just res at a, at a, a res at the spirit healer who's half the zone away, and you could just mount up and get away from there, and then the people who were killing you can't kill you anymore. You're going to want to do that. Especially now that we have PvP as a toggle, yep, that you turn on in your capital city, uh, you just you just get away from it, go back to your capital city, turn it off, and then go back out. They want to make it at least a little difficult for you to do that. I get that, but I do think that you know a seventy-five percent penalty to everything for ten minutes—that's it's effectively saying you're done playing for the day. And I don't know if that's really the way you want to go. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess I'm on board with getting rid of it. Yeah, and it also punishes players to get stuck in weird positions. Like, I mean, in Najatar in particular, 
Like, there were several instances where, like, I got myself into a situation where I could not get myself out of no matter how many times I went and got my body back. And then it just became an, an ever long corpse run, retrieve body as far back as I could run as far as I could die again, do it again. And like that took 10 minutes or so to, to in some cases, cause I couldn't fly yet. So and like, plus you, know, as you're doing that, you're getting your, your stuff ever more damaged. So eventually yep. you're going to have to go find a place to repair it all. Yeah, it, it, it does. I do, I do feel like there's got to be a, a better, an improved version of this system, but I don't, off the top of my head, I don't know what it is. I don't have that much trouble with it nowadays. Very rarely, like, I think it only does happen to me when some weird glitch is happening. Uh, I, I can't recall the last time I died and went to, and then just chose the spirit healer. Um, in almost every case, when I die, I would run back to my corpse. I mean, I did have one instance where my body phased out through the world and I could not get to it back recently. So that was interesting. But. Yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty much it. And I think that that we're what we're saying, we're making the case here for getting rid of the, yeah. the res sickness penalty or at least looking back at a different way to do it. Yeah. And, and again, I don't know what the solution is, but I, I know that what we currently have probably isn't isn't it. So. All right, our next question comes from Vertigree, and he says, Can you say at what time you're okay with spoilery podcast questions on both shows? There's lots of information from Alpha Streams out there already, and I was hoping to know when you when you want to talk about some stuff, capital S-T-U-F-F, we've seen, whether around Beta or Shadowlands launch. That's always a tricky thing for us, because we do tend to have spoiler episodes and we tend to broadcast them ahead of time, especially like on the other podcast. Um, I, I don't know. Like I, it, it's we generally in Mac and correct me if I'm wrong. We generally get together and kind of decide when we're okay collectively to start really doing spoilery stuff. But other than mm-hmm. that, we try to keep it light so that you guys aren't accidentally getting spoilers because there are some people who really care about that. Uh, and you know, I know there are others that don't, but we want to make sure we strike that balance so that if we're going to do a spoiler episode, maybe people can take a week off or whatever the case is. Yeah. One thing we, de- I know we do, and we've been doing for a long time, uh, is that we tend to try and warn people like not just before the spoilers come, but this episode may contain spoilers, and then later on, okay, this is the part we warned you about. This is where the spoilers are going to happen. We want to make sure people are forewarned so they don't have to, they don't catch them without intending to. That's important to us. I think everybody involved has been spoiled a few times in their life and don't want to be the ones doing it. Um, but, I mean, we, we don't want to, we're not saying no to spoilers or avoiding them, you know, we just haphazardly. Have to be because, yeah, because let's face it. It's our job to know this stuff. But it's also uh, not our job to ruin it for you guys. Yeah, we, we, we definitely don't we don't have a problem talking about things that are, you know, through the alpha, whatever. I mean, I'm in the alpha. There's a lot of stuff I'd love to just t- talk about, but I don't want to just throw it out there shotgun blast. And so if there's a topic you want to talk to us about, you can ask us about it in your questions. You can bring it up. And say, hey, this thing's going on. What do you guys think? We'll come together and we'll decide, okay, you know, this, we got to ask this question six times. Do we want to talk about it? We have a conversation. And then we tend to try and set up proper warnings for you guys. And it's case by case. Some stuff is so big. Um, this is a made up one. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is made up. I'm making this up right now. So this is not a spoiler. But 
as an example, if we were to find out that Anduin and, and Sylvanas are getting married next expansion, we would report that. <laughs> no, we would have to. Yeah, because that's There's, kind of all over the place at that point, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, and it's it, it, it's big, and it needs commentary. That's the kind of thing we would be going, what? You know, there there would be a discussion. We would warn you ahead of time. So that you wouldn't blunder into it, we would, and we would warn you a lot. There would be a lot of warnings before we got into it, but we would talk about it. Um, and it but there's some stuff where it's like, you know, this certain character shows up. We know that the character shows up. Is it really worth mentioning and ruining it for you guys? And if it is worth mentioning, then we definitely want to warn people ahead of time so they don't stay around and get spoilers they don't want. We're n- we're not TMZ here, so. There's always going to be that. That our first goal is always going to be to give people the stuff they want to hear, the discussions they want to have, but not to do so in a way that's haphazard or, or affects people who don't want to, to to be involved in those discussions. I hope that kind of answers the question. You think? I think that answers it, right? I think it answers it. So spoilers in the future. You'll get plenty of warning, and we'll figure out when the right time is. And again, send it in. Let us know if you want questions answered. Uh, our next question, greetings watchers. I have a question for the Blizzard Watch podcast. Hey, that's us. In Diablo 3, we were introduced, or introduced with the different crafting artisans. What would you like to see in Diablo 4? Would you like to see an extended artisan, uh, artisan system or a character specific system such as professions in WoW or something else completely? I would like to dig into something uh, at the same time as I'm plowing through fields of monsters. Uh, kind regards from Santheocles. Uh, from Korgal, EU. I will say this up front. The transmog system that they introduced in Diablo 3 is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I definitely want that to come back. And the artisan that, that brought it, the armor dying, the, the various versions, I think they should bring it back, they should expand it. They should make it even bigger and more expansive and definitely bring back armor dying and make that a whole thing. You know, a lot of that stuff. There's a lot more customization in Diablo 4 in terms of your character. Like, you don't just play big, grizzled old barbarian or younger red-haired barbarian. You can be, you could be black. You can be, you know, various ethnicities. You can be various hair colors and sizes and so forth. You can really customize your character a lot more in Diablo 4 than you could in Diablo 3. And I think that's great. It's absolutely great. I think they should run with that with Transmog as well and, and, and make Transmog a much bigger, a much more customizing system. Um, so that one I want to see almost just, just brought in as it was and then expanded. I think there's no reason to reinvent the wheel on that one. I think Diablo 3 Transmog was really good. But a lot of the other crafting stuff in Diablo 3, I mean, it wasn't awful. I mean, I used it up to a point. But once you get to a certain point in Diablo 3, you really don't craft a whole heck of a lot. Uh, you, I think around level 45 or so, I stopped really doing it because drops are usually better than the crafted stuff. And any of the sets or legendary item grind materials and the materials you grind for, you'd end up getting so much better stuff just while doing it that it really didn't matter too much. So I'm hoping if they do do crafting in Diablo 4, they, they expand it or make it feel more relevant. Um, I can't think of really... I don't want them to go the WoW route because the WoW route has really shown its age over the years. Yeah. yeah. But 
partially maybe that's just because it's been there since 2004 at this point. Um, when you are on the 16th year of something, it's bound to get kind of hoary. Whereas if you if you take it and go brand new system with it, you know, since Diablo 4 is going to be a game that will be around for a bit, it, you could actually have an expansive personal crafting system where your character chose professions. But the problem with that is that when you make a system that you pick, like, the problem with crafting in WoW is that there's always one that's good and one that's bad. See, like Sylvia said, you know, she doesn't want to see it. Uh, and she's right. She, you know, her, her trenchant observ observations of Diablo 4 are usually dead on. Um, by the way, I love Joe's dogs. Yeah, sorry uh, about that. <laughs> no, no, I really do love them. They can be great. My dog is currently locked out. I bring her in here, but she probably wouldn't say there, anything. She, mine's in a completely different room, and you can yeah. still hear <laughs> But uh, I, I do think that – I think there's something you could learn from – like, for instance, I'm looking at uh, Burning Crusade here with the really cool specific weapons you can make with, with kind – like the, the Lionheart Blade, Lionheart Champion, Lionheart Executioner. That kind of thing could be really cool if you brought in that sort of crafting. But I don't think you should make it so you have to pick a couple. I think you should make it so they're all available – because as while it's really cool to have stuff that becomes a gameplay choice, I don't think Diablo works well as a game where you have to make decisions about which one's best. Diablo Diablo as a game should be a game about smashing things and getting stuff. Yeah. Not about which professions are better, you know, no. That kind of min-maxing is not Diablo. Diablo min-maxing is constantly going out and killing stuff to get better stuff. And the better it's, it's the stuff that drops if it isn't better, it goes into a meat grinder and gets turned into means to, to make better stuff for you in some other way. You know what I mean? Like Diablo 3 by the end, not, not when it first came out, but by the end, by right now, Diablo 3 system is about perfect Diablo. Where if you get stuff that isn't an actual upgrade, you can turn it into powers on your Kanai's cube. You can use it mm -hmm. to turn it into crafting materials. There's stuff you can do with it. Yeah. But it is never going to be Oh well, I had to take this this profession because it gives a, a two percent strength increase. I, I don't want to see that in Diablo. I, I think everything you said is absolutely one hundred percent. I'm on board with. I don't want WoW level crafting in my Diablo. I think it's too much, and it's it's sort of anathemical to the game, right? Like it's 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 not what the game is about. Just like you just said. However. If they expanded or brought in certain things from Diablo 2, I would not exactly be mad. I would be uh, very, very okay if they brought back like runes and combining and shifting runes and things like that. Uh, like if they did something like that, I'd be completely okay with it. But again, I think you were right on the money. Keep it. Keep it where it's like you get new stuff and you go out and kill things to get more new stuff and you don't have to worry about crafting new stuff. And I think that's fine. Uh, again, let me smash things. So, yeah, I, I don't think I, I, stuff like runes or like the, the Kanai's cube powers or whatever. They're all just different versions of the same kind of thing. Where you're like you have a way to make yourself stronger that isn't specifically gear, but is still related to the acquisition of power. You go out and you do stuff to get stuff to make you better. That should be Diablo. Diablo shouldn't be about, well, I took, you know, I took a profession and now I can make this better hammer or this better sword. That being said, some cosmetic stuff that you could transmog to, always, always nice. I'm always a big fan of 
professions that have cosmetic stuff. And I think that that would be one of the, that would be a nice thing in terms of whether or not you should have artisans or you should have it all be personally linked. I think I'm kind of still with the artisans, but Joe's reminder of Diablo two does make me wonder if it would be better to just have one guy, just have one person you go to, to do everything. Uh, I mean, um, don't get me wrong. I want covetous Shen to still be around because covetous Shen. Yeah. But I mean, you know, if you just had like, if there was just a place to go, I mean, I, I, I guess you get that in Diablo 3. You just get multiple people instead of one person, so I don't know. For that matter, you know, we could have a whole discussion on whether or not you should have followers, but that's not even in the scope of this question. So <laughs> I think what my basic statement is let's keep Diablo Diablo. Let's yeah. let's never let the professions become too important. But it's okay to have some stuff in there. Like Joe mentioned the runes. I mentioned the, the cube. There's, there's other things like that. As long as they're not overwhelming, as long as they don't replace Steal the focus play. of the game. Yeah. Uh, so now our next two questions actually come from Lord Soth. Uh, so let's start with those. Hey, watchers, Lord Soth here. I saw the post today about elf customizations. This is a, a little bit of an older one, and I finally remembered a question I had forgot to ask. Do you know if we will be able to apply these customizations to our existing characters? Since this feature is new to WoW, it would make sense that to some degree it would be free and wouldn't need a paid for appearance change but i'm not sure if that's bl what blizzard is doing uh, i would love to be able to change my void elves to look like high elves but i'm not so committed to it that i would want to spend money for it i don't know that seems like something when they because i know in the past when they've added new features to classes they put them in the barber shop so like i don't know if they've done anything with that on the alpha yet yeah, I, I can't answer your question, you know, with a this is what's going to happen, because I don't know. Um, I would not be surprised if it was on the barbershop, but I, I can't tell you this is what you will be able to do on day one, because right now I don't even think it's all implemented. Like the last time I checked on the alpha, I couldn't even, I can't even load my, my night elf <laughs> at the moment, because they're still putting in options. So how this is actually going to work uh i do think joe's right though in that in the past when they did the uh custom when they customized for instance humans i think they let you go to the barbershop for some of the options i don't i don't remember for sure to be completely honest with you because i wasn't playing a human um i didn't make any changes to my draenei or my worgen or my night elf uh what else i don't really know because this is an entirely new system that wow has never had before mm -hmm. i don't know how they're going to put it in i would hope they'd let us all do it like you know let us go back and change our characters um some like for instance you're like from what i can tell they're not changing everybody like they're not they don't look to be adding many many options to like the allied races uh i think those are just staying as they are so we'll see yeah and, and unfortunately the answer to your the answer to your question is we don't know and in the previous, as uh, Sage Time in chat is pointing out to us right now in real time, uh, the barbershop does allow you to change pretty much everything that's in a character customization as as long as it's part of that race currently. I personally hope that they keep that like going forward. I'll pay gold. That's fine. I'm just hoping that it doesn't turn into, hey, you want to become a high elf uh, from your blood elf? Well, give us X amount of dollars. So we'll find out when they get closer to actually having that implemented. And I, I'm certain that we will be reporting on it as soon as we know about it. Uh, oh, yeah. 
The next question from Lord Soth. Uh, I was thinking about the level squish coming up in Shadowlands. I'm assuming part of this is going to include an item level squish, though I don't know for sure. That made me wonder, will the gold value of gear also drop to match? It would make sense. The ability to go to any expansion also makes me wonder about other gold values. For example, I use the cards of Omen from Draenor on alts for gold farming. I wonder if those gold values will be altered if everything else does. Uh, otherwise, it's possible for a level 10 character to luck into 6,000 gold with minimal investment. What other changes, if any, in gold are we going to see in the Shadowlands? I can't answer your questions because this is an alpha test. I can't and tell you that, yes, item level seems to be squished. Uh, I, keep in mind, I can't import my current characters yet. But when they start you with, like, say, a level 50 or 57 character, which they do for different zones, they give you different starting levels, the gear is definitely squished from the current item level. Like, I think, it, I think when you start at level 50, they give you item level 75 gear. Yeah. And that's that's the gear you're wearing, and it's the gear that's appropriate for a level 50 character, which is the equivalent of a level 120 character right now. So that's a significant drop in item level. I think just this character, who is, again, not a character who's been raiding a lot, is item level 445. So yeah, uh, going to be a pretty significant drop to level 75. Um, but I don't know that gear will drop that far. Like, I, 445 gear might drop 80 or 85, I don't know. Because again, I can't import a character. There's no mechanism in place currently on the alpha to import a character and see the changes in effect. We don't... So some of the stuff we're talking about is guesswork and, and some of it is, you know, estimation. I do know that when you're on the alpha, you can look at various gear and see that it, that it is squished. Um, but also... The other thing is, because of scaling, if you decide to level, say, in Legion, and you start at level 10, the gear you're getting will be appropriate to your level 10 character. Mm -hmm. And then it, it will scale up to the, the, the level 50 version as you go through Legion. So the item level goes up fairly quickly as you're leveling. It and as a result, each expansion gives you the, roughly the same level of gear. So I don't think you're going to be in a situation where your level 10 character is going to luck into a level 6,000 know, 6, gold item because stuff is going to be worth less and then go up as you go up. And, and they've done this in what the past. What that means for gold, though? Oh, yeah, they have. Absolutely. They did it in Warlords. Yeah. So any anytime there's like a level squish, not just for that, but I, I like talking about like the item gold values and stuff like that. They've adjusted those in the past, and I think there's a equation that the game already does based off of the item level of the item. Because if you if you level now, and I'm noticing stuff like this as I'm leveling through alts, your gear level that you get from certain quests does adjust based off of your current level to be X item level, right? And the value of it changes. Like, it, it's not set in stone. So, like, if it's an item level whatever, it's, like, maybe a couple silver more than it was before. But there's already something that, that's kind of doing that in the background. So I wouldn't be surprised if that system just gets leveraged for this and just gets applied to whatever the item level is based off of your character level. And if they do that... Uh, they've also shown that they've they've adjusted procs to do much the same. It seems pretty easy to apply that. So I don't like Matt saying I don't think we're going to get into a situation where you're going to have a level ten character who's gold cap. 
right? I, I don't. I think. I think they're. I think they've already accounted for that in the past. We're just going to see it in more extremes at work now because of what they're doing to change the leveling process. Yeah, I definitely think that they are trying. That you're going to see stuff being worth less gold overall. Um, you're not going. Stuff's not going to be worth as much as it is now because you're going to be much lower level, uh, and stuff will. You'll. You'll. You when you go into say leveling in Battle for Azeroth straight after you hit level ten, the, your Battle of Azeroth gear will will scale as you go up. So it'll be you won't be getting items that are worth like 30, 35 gold right away. You, it'll still be it'll be exactly the same as if you were leveling in you know original vanilla WoW content. Uh, well, not vanilla Cataclysm WoW content because vanilla sure. WoW content is a different thing entirely. But you get where I'm going. Okay, our next question. Uh, Hi, Watchers. I am Dumagar, an old listener and old player from Costa Rica. Hey, Bravida. vida. Uh, you have been talking a lot lately about a tinkerer class for WoW, and I have seen really good players using the engineering profession in such a way that makes me think of them as a tinkerer subclass, regardless of the real class they play. I would love to see if there is a way to make other professions as useful to be able to think of them as a subclass. For example, herbalists could heal or cure poisons with some herbs. Blacksmiths could shield themselves for a short period of time. I remember loving the perks Wrath of the Lich King had with professions, and I would really love to see them thrive again, since they seem to be in the backstage since Warlords of Draenor. Thanks for making Blizz News interesting, and forgive me if my English is weird. It is not my main language. Your English was fine. Uh, what do you think about those, that, Matt? Honestly, I find myself wondering if the opposite is better. Like, if less professions is better. Um, I remember when they took first aid out. At first I thought, what? That's been in the game forever, but I haven't missed it. Um, so, I mean, it's just me, though. I, I, A lot of people... I remember back in BC, people loved professions, but there was just so much work. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was working constantly to try and get my swordsmithing up to, so I could make the next sword. And yeah, I wanted that sword, and yeah, I got that sword, and was really happy to have it. But at the end of the expansion, when I made the final level of sword, and I, it took a lot of work to get all the materials to do it, I replaced it with the best. Do you remember the one that that you could get that was like better than it was as good or better than stuff from Black Temple? Mm-hmm. And it was like the stuff from Black Temple was slightly better than the best version of the sword I could make. And it felt like, my God, I spent all expansion working on this profession and the sword lasted me a week, you know? And then luckily they put Titan's Grip into the game so I could then dual wield with the sword. So I felt better because the sword was not my offhand. Uh, but that was like for a month before, you know, Wrath came out. There was the pre expansion patch. It just. I get what people are saying about professions, but. Like some professions have always been stronger or more utilitarian than others. Engineering is a good example of one that's always had weird little perks, like you know, various teleporters you could get, or you know, little robots you can make to repair gear that other professions like like swordsmithing, like blacksmithing, or leatherworking never had. I've had mounts over the years. I don't, I don't know that I want blacksmithing to give me like a damage shield or let me, you know, create. I, I see. That's the thing. It doesn't really make sense for blacksmithing to give me weird powers. Blacksmithing should give me stuff. That's what a blacksmith. A blacksmith doesn't like. You know, you don't hear a lot of stories of in like fantasy of the blacksmith coming out and beating people up for you. They make things. <laughs> you know, it's 
Hephaestus doesn't go out and kill monsters. Hephaestus makes the things that you use to kill monsters. Like if 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 if, if Wayland Smith is involved in the story, it's not the story of how Wayland Smith kicked a lot of butt. It's the story about how Wayland Smith made the sword that the hero used to kick a lot of butt. I feel like some professions don't make sense to feel like a subclass. So like it, I don't know. So maybe I I guess what I'm saying is I don't like this idea. But it's not like one I'm super strongly opposed to. It's just one I'm thinking about now as we're talking about it. Unpopular opinion, I think profession should be removed from the game. And I'm saying this as somebody who's done the grind and done all the stuff. There was a point in time back, and I think it might have been Wrath, where professions were ridiculously powerful and had an insane impact on your gameplay, depending on what class and spec you played. Like, if you were a healer, you had to be a jewel crafter alchemist at that time. Like, there was no other option for you because you needed the extra things that you got from both of those, uh, whether it was the trinket. But that trinket, the, right? Yep. The, the, the philosopher's stone? The philosopher's stone was the best trinket, like, up until, like, I think Dragon Soul. Like, it was, it was, or, um, yeah, like, it was just, it was just dumb. Like, how. I remember it being good for, like, two solid expansions because. Yep. I remember on my shaman, even. It was the sheer amount of stats it gave and the things it did. Yeah, it, w- it was a really good trinket. And and then you needed the alchemy buff because the alchemy buff made flasks last longer for you. And without it, flasks were so expensive, particularly the ones used for healers, that it was not economical to raid as a healer without it. Like, And, and that, to me, wasn't fun. And I know some people really love that, but it, it took away from the game for me. I would rather see them go into a removing professions entirely because we get enough stuff from daily quests. We get enough stuff from uh, emissaries and and world quests and and things like that that are already in the game. There's a lot of ways to get consumables, to get uh, items for consumables and things like that that they could put in the game, uh, leveraging systems they already have, and it would disrupt literally nothing. Uh, I would rather them leverage instead of having professions, looking more at maybe subclasses or something like that and focusing on maybe having a handful of those that alter gameplay to some degree versus I'm a blacksmith, now I can throw down a bubble or or maybe I turn into a tank like Bastion from Overwatch for a couple seconds. Like It, it would serve a similar function, but I think would not... Shoehorning into professions feels wrong. I think the time for professions is probably at an end and maybe needs to be replaced with something else. So again, that's just my, my take on it. Your mileage may vary. I don't actually hate that idea. Um, part of me thinks instead of removing them, just don't put a new tier in. Like imagine if the next expansion just didn't have a new crafting tier. Yeah. And so all the old stuff was still there. If you wanted to go and deal sure. with it, but you move on to something else and they've but done the that before. I mean, I'm not saying they have to do this. I'm not saying it's going to destroy the game if they don't do this. I'm just saying it's like if you're thinking about professions in general, one way to do it would just to be leave, you know, leave all the flasks and stuff the same as they were in Battle for Azeroth. And then you just, if you have flasks or food or whatever, that's the highest level you have, and you adjust the new raids accordingly. So the highest buffs you get are are those. Because the thing about, like, flasks and food and all those buffs is... 
they they don't have to be they don't have to exist. Raids don't have to be designed with those in mind. Like those are raids are designed so that you have the you know if your starting raid is this hard while you're using those, then it's slightly harder without them. You can design it so that it's just at the level you want it to be without them. You you absolutely can do that. They don't have to exist. It gives them a little bit of wiggle room, but it is not necessary. You could totally do raid tier or two raid tiers without them. And if it turned out, well, it looks like people, players are really having a hard time getting into these raids without those things, you can put buff items like we have saw in the last couple of expansions. Those, uh, I can't remember the name of the freaking things, but do you remember them from Legion? Of the Vontus runes? In Warlords. Like, yeah, you could put those kind of runes back in and, and let people have those for buffs. Mm-hmm. There are ways to do it that don't have to involve learning a profession just so you can, like, you know, cook a giant table full of food if you want to play around and see what you get. There, there's ways to do this. So I, I think I'm actually surprisingly okay with the idea of getting rid of it, considering that it's that there's a change and I, I hate all new things and I'm constantly like, well, let's just stay the way we are now. <laughs> but no, I, 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 don't think I'm, I don't think I'm upset by this idea. Yeah, and like I said, who knows what they're going to do with it in the future. I don't think they've even really talked about crafting going into Shadowlands, so we I have no idea what they're planning to do, so they might come up with something completely wacky and out there. And yes, uh, Padilla has points out that Vantage Runes are from Scribes, but there's nothing that says that they can't put them in-game like they do with the, the Augment I, Runes. They're from... Yeah, from my Augment Runes, I mean, those things... I The runes I used to use, I just people would drop... They would just drop from stuff. I didn't. I didn't have any scribe to craft them for me, and I wasn't buying them in the auction yeah, so house. I, think, I, th- I was getting them. Pro- I was getting. Yeah, I think that was augment runes were the ones that just randomly drop or can drop. They, they're still around, but uh, Matt's point stands. There's other ways that they could get us that stuff if it was necessary. So, all right, our next question. Hey, folks, just been curious regarding Alex Straza. Were uh yeah, where she where she was given the power of life by the Titans, does that mean she factors into the Shadowlands somehow? Sylvanas, Arthas, the Jailer, etc., all seem to have made an enemy of life itself, and I'm just surprised to not see Alexstrasza taking a role there. Almost seems like this could have been part of her appointed task. Uh, this is from Julian, aka Baragorn of Cadgar. Uh, we don't know what the dragons are doing yet in Shadowlands or if they're doing yep. anything. Right? Like, we haven't seen nope. enough of it. Nope. Haven't seen... Well, we definitely haven't seen anything from the dragon so far. Uh, I mean, you could argue that Alex Straza currently doesn't actually have those powers. So, she's just a really big, impressive dragon. So, maybe she's just not involved. Um, maybe she is going to show up. I don't know. Um, there's one dragon I want to see, and it's not Alex Straza. Not that I have anything against Alex Straza. I like her quite a bit. I think she's a great character. But she's not the one character that I want to see. Well, actually, there's two characters I want to see involving dragons. Uh, and I, I would love to see the two of them together because I think that they, they it happened to their friendship. And I would like to see if perhaps in the, in the Shadowlands they managed to reconnect and rediscover their friendship. That would actually make me pretty happy. Um, but it's not, again, not Alex Straza. Um, but, you know, if she showed up, I certainly wouldn't be upset by it. I, I, I do like her. I do like to get to see her doing cool stuff. So, And somebody pointed out in uh, in chat, uh, LeBrat Max, 
uh, has said like dragon isles are a thing. We we've heard that thrown around a couple times recently. It's come up a few times. Uh, Rathion was recently looking for it. Uh, I don't think we're going to see necessarily Alexstrasza in Shadowlands, but whenever we do start dealing with stuff with the Dragon Isles, that seems more likely where we're going to start seeing her. Uh, and yeah, she's given power over life, but we don't know what that actually means. We never knew what that actually meant before she did the whole Dragon Soul thing and got rid of her her powers and did that whole big cataclysmic event and, and defeating you know Deathwing. I mean, one person who's got a real grudge against Alexstrasza and the entire Red Dragon Flight Bolvar. is the Lich King. Yes, Bolvar himself. Her power over life is the reason he was stuck in a body that was continuously on fire. Not allowed to die. So, yeah, the, the life power can have some significant drawbacks. And when he's that Red Dragon and turn it into a worm... He was very definitely doing that as a like kind of a way to say, you know, I I have not forgotten what you did to me. Um, there's there's definitely hints that that Bolvar is holding a grudge between between him sending you to the you know, Red Ruby Dragon Shrine and then and sending you off to raise one of their greatest members as an undead. He, he's definitely got some some things to say about the power of life. So I definitely think that that's something that might come up. For all we know, the the Dragon Isles are like you know the only place we know of that's a really big dragony place is with it with the you know the, the Wormrest Accord Temple and everything is Dragonblight. Yep. And Dragonblight's are basically a dragon graveyard. That's where dragons go to die. So and it's where Galakrond is. Uh, so yeah, we could very well see dragons in Shadowlands. Like, we don't know. They might come in a later patch. We don't really know. Uh, keep in seen, mind that, you know... So- I was going to say, we've seen in the past, too, where like the story of an expansion goes somewhere completely different than what yeah. it originally started as. I mean, Battle for Azeroth. Yeah, absolutely. And none of us expected to go to, like, you know, Argus. Uh, well, I mean, I did. End, you did, yes. <laughs> you... you, you <laughs> Joe did, in fact, call it. It's, it's fair to say. I mean, he even posted a picture of himself getting in a car, saying, "You know, getting losers going Argus." He absolutely did know that. But my point being, it, it their games, you know, expansions can have pretty big deviations. Uh, Battle for Azeroth not only had Nihalatha at the end, and we were all like, "What?" But before that, it did Nazjatar and Mechagon, which are two places we had no idea we were going to go to. So, it's quite possible there could be like patch. You know, like a like a dragon dragon isles patch where we end up going to the dragon isles. It turns out the dra- dragon isles exist partially in the shadowlands, and it's a place where like dragons come. You know, dragon life goes into death and back into life. I don't know. I have no idea. It's something that could happen. So we'll see when we get there. But yeah, I I, I don't think that Alexstrasza is necessarily going to have a role in all this. Um, At least it might yet. be that she can she might consider her Ballywick to be life. And thus, death is the other place that she doesn't really go into. I don't know. Now, this kind of feeds into our next question, which is from Block of Dragonblight. Hey, look how that works out. Uh, Dear Watchers, what makes the Lich King the Lich King? I always assumed the power resided in the Helm of Domination. Put it on and presto. 
If so, then what is Bolvar now that the helm has been destroyed? What power does he still have? If not, what actually makes the Lich King the Lich King? We asked this question a couple weeks ago, uh, and, and I think we asked it also, like, before Anne left, over on Lorewatch, we talked about what happens now that the Helm of Domination is broken. And we've talked about this a couple times there as well. We know that the Helm was made in the Shadowlands. We're going to find out what makes the Lich King the Lich King, because we're probably going to find out what the Helm of Domination actually was, what went into making and what power it wielded. Uh, I also posited, and, and this was a completely out of left field thing, that the soul binding was a thing and that possibly the Helm of Domination was a physical manifestation of a soul bind with a something in the Shadowlands that gave the Lich King its power. We don't know, but that was just my guess. Um, but it is a question because once that helm has been destroyed, we would assume that there'd be a whole bunch of just undead running amok and, and sort of like destroying Azeroth at this point, because that's why Bolvar put the helmet on in the first place was to try to keep them in check at least as much as possible. Uh, and we know that with us going to the Shadowlands, the heroes aren't there to defend it anymore. And the Death Knights are helping us ferry over to the Shadowlands. So what are, if they're not there to stand for it, what's protecting everybody from rampaging Scourge again? And if it's Bolvar, if he still has power, is it because he made a deal with whatever the Helm let him talk to? Or was it actually all contained in the Helm? I don't know, but we're probably going to find out real soon. I mean, I think Bolvar is a powerful undead, whether or not he's the Lich King anymore. I mean, if you look at the various Death Knights, they're powerful undead. And he's probably at least as powerful. So he's, that seems to be the case. That seems to, In the pictures we've seen of him, he seems to still be a powerful undead. Or powerful neither dead nor alive. Because he might be a more akin to Kalia Menethil than he is to the average undead. Yeah. And that they're animated and moving even though he's dead he's he's literally the fusion of life and on life yeah so what that means to the future i couldn't tell you what that means for the game i don't know it's definitely it's definitely the case we see the helmet get destroyed in the end of the hour the 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 tournament the cinematic so we know that that had not I don't know if we can call him the Lich King anymore. I don't know if he is the Lich King anymore. I don't know if there is a Lich King now. Uh, but whatever he is, he seems to be powerful enough to still lead the uh, the Death Knights. And yeah, now, that's all I've got. I don't really have anything else. And, and as uh, Dad Viking in chat points out, and this is something I've been thinking about too, we've been told that there isn't going to be like a big like pre-patch thing, but that might change. I, it would be interesting if maybe like the pre-patch event that leads us into going to Northrend is we see this giant rent in the fabric of reality, and on the meantime, we're fighting our way through the Scourge, trying to make our way there, 
uh, thinning out that herd. Maybe we take care of part of it on our way up there. Who knows? Uh, but maybe an in-between event uh, of us having to get to Ice Crown in order to start our transition into the Shadowlands that involves the Scourge would be pertinent here. Uh, maybe it starts answering some of these questions, uh, maybe a little bit. But if not, like I said, we're at some point going to wind up going to the Forge that made the helm and... and I think we we said that it was Frostmourne was was made there too. I can't remember, but no, I, I don't know if they said that or not. But we're going to go somewhere where powerful relics of this nature are made, and we're going to learn a whole heck of a lot at that point. Um, but I think we are at time, unless there's anything else you want to add, Matt. No, I think I'm pretty good. All right, well, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Thank you, Joe, uh, and thanks for reading those emails for us. Uh, if you guys, again, if you have an email for the show, please send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or Blizzard Watch so you know it's the show, or hit us up on our Discord server. We've got two channels there, one including uh, the Q and, pod, Q and podcast questions for patrons channel uh, that we can you can ask a question on, and we will do our best to get them onto the show. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here with us. Uh, this has been the Blizzard Watch podcast, and we'll be back next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.